CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Options Action is brought to you by TD Ameritrade, where you gain access to research tools to help you sharpen your trading strategies. Welcome to Friday and Options Action live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Courtney Reagan in tonight for Melissa Lee. Here's what's coming up on The Big Show. Runaway train or not? Carter Worth outlines an indication that the economy might just keep blindly chugging along on a straight track instead. Then, the COVID play that has powered through the stay home, got back to work, stay home, go back to work, flip-flop. Mike Cole plugs you in. Finally, hey, Guy Adami is back. So we should check in on his favorite play from last time, Palantir. It's time to risk less to make more. Options action starts right now. Let me ask, Mike, about what you think about the action just even from today as we talk about the economic destiny and why the markets were so fixated on what was happening with those COVID cases overseas in Austria. Why was that a concern for us here today? Well, I I mean, obviously, one of the big thesis I think that we've seen for a a strong market recovery all of this time is that we are really going to come out of the backside of this. Uh, We had that in conjunction with very strong consumer data very strong consumer checkbooks. And all of that, of course, has been supportive of the rising market. And of course, when you start seeing concerns like that, that obviously things could begin to shut down again, that takes an important leg out of that stool. And I think, you know, obviously that's going to create some concerns and volatility. You combine that with relatively high valuations. And, you know, that obviously puts us in a relatively precarious uh, position. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure necessarily that we need to, you know, extrapolate too much from that. I think we need a little bit more data first. Fair enough. Fair enough. We've set the scene for what we saw there today. Let's get back to Carter. I think we got the audio issue worked out. Carter, what is your play for us here? What are we looking at when we're talking about looking at the middle? Well, that's right. Uh, And this is very similar to what was just examined with uh, sort of small cap stocks. Let's look at a table or two and then look at some charts. Um, What we know, of course, is that there was a lot of euphoria, first slide shows this, right, in the transportation average, in the cyclical trade. And so if you look at how the Dow Jones transportation average did from the absolute low of COVID, right, the 23rd of March 2020 to its May 10th peak of 2021, 142% versus, of course, the SPX up 92. Now look at the second slide. And this is, again, the same circumstance as the small cap index, where the enthusiasm was. But since May 10th, we're November 10th, we're about to be December 10th, the IYT, the ETF that tracks the Dow Jones transgender is down versus the SPI up 11. And so in pictorial form, let's look at those data points. The first is a chart of IYT, and what we know is it has stalled. So a great run up, and then a stall. Now, many believe it's the pause that refreshes. That's fine. Some think it's a stall before the storm. But here and now, actually, I think the trade is to bet that it just stays where it is. And you can make a lot of money in the options market doing that. Look at the next slide. And so this is, again, a very well-defined range. It's been persisting now for about six months. Let's drill down and, and look at it even tighter. So this next 
slide shows you precisely the ranges that have been in effect, 283 high, 241 low, and the midpoint, 262. So the final uh, chart here is uh, really bringing it all together. What we know is that you're talking about about 3.5% to get to the high, about 4% to get to the midpoint. I think we'll be there between now and the end of the year, just vacillating, gyrating, but really making no progress. And the trick is to put on an options trade that can profit from a sideways period. All right, so Mike, help us make some money on what Carter just laid out there for us. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, first we ought to talk a little bit, I think, fundamentally about what IYT, the transportation uh, sector, really is. I mean, so first of all, 34% uh, in terms of this entire index is the rails, interestingly enough. And I think, obviously, we are all well aware that there have been some significant challenges with the supply chain that presumably is going to affect everybody that is involved in transportation one way or another. The next 20%, by the way, includes uh, FedEx and, and UPS. Obviously, we've seen rising fuel costs, rising oil costs. That obviously presents some form of a headwind. We've seen material labor uh, challenges in terms of rising wages and shortages, especially on the trucking side. So all of those things combined with the fact that this really isn't that far off of its all-time highs here does suggest to me that you wouldn't expect to see a whole lot more to the upside. Now, I know a trade uh, on the option side that Carter often favors is selling strangles. And, you know, one of the things he was talking about earlier today was that he sort of sees this range bound between now and December, somewhere between, call it uh, 255 and 285. So if you were going to sell a strangle, those would be the strikes that you'd be inclined to sell. So you'd be looking out to December, sell the 255 put, sell the 285 call. Now, two things about selling premium that are important to me. One, generally speaking, for say a month long trade, I'm usually looking to collect at least about 1% of the risk I'm taking in premium. And that strangle right now would collect about two and a quarter. So that's actually a little bit under the 1% that I would look at. The other thing is that generally speaking, I don't like to sell naked upside. That means selling a naked upside call. So I think instead one could contemplate selling an upside call spread and selling a downside put. And by doing so, you limit that upside risk and you know you can still obviously have a risk that you have the downside put to you, but you're gonna be collecting actually, when I was looking at this, I was looking specifically at the 260, 280, 285, selling that call spread, selling that downside put, you collect nearly $3 for that. So that is more than 1% of the downside risk it does play for a range-bound thesis, and it doesn't have unlimited risk to the upside in case it breaks out. Guy, what's your take on the IYT? It's interesting. I mean, these guys did a wonderful job. I'll tell you, as a technician, you know, this is CBW's world. But, you know, I think he looks at this and says, you have a major double top. You had a huge move into the spring. IYT made an all-time high around 280. Subsequent sell-off, we traded right back up. I'm not saying we failed yet, but it certainly looks like we're rolling over a bit. And, you know, Mike nailed it in terms of two of these names, Union Pacific and CSX, are 27% of this index. Now, in between the two of them, it close to 17% is UPS. I mentioned that because the UPS chart and the IYT chart are virtually identical. You have a bit of a double chop. So how do I play that? Well, I look at Federal Express and say, wait a second. Obviously, this stock is completely underperformed. Now that's only 4% of this IYT index. But on valuation alone, this becomes pretty compelling. And, you know, you just put a 15 multiple on the $22 they're going to earn. 
and you're talking about a $330 stock. I'm not saying it's getting there tomorrow, but I don't think it should be $245 either. So if you're looking to play this, I think IYT can trade lower. I think UPS can break down, but I think FedEx can actually start to get off the mat a bit. So that's how I would look at this and play it. Okay, so you're looking at the IYT, but also you're looking at FedEx and UPS. Carter, I want to go back to you. When you're thinking about that transport group, what do you make of some of Guy's thoughts on the technical side of UPS and FedEx and what those charts look like? Well, right, they've diverged. Obviously, UPS is a much bigger business and uh, and a better performer, and yet the spread is wide enough that uh, betting on the underperformer, which often is betting on poor relative strength, which can be treacherous, sometimes it gets such a spread that you want to do it. And I think it's a good move. Mike, how about you? What do you make of the divergence between UPS and FedEx? Yeah, so you know what's interesting here is actually you can use a structure in both UPS and FedEx that plays essentially on Carter's thesis and guys too, which I would suggest would indicate selling an upside call spread in UPS and maybe selling cash covered puts on FedEx. This is a way to collect some premium and bet on basically some compression between the spread and these two companies. Hmm. Very interesting moves here and names we're going to be focused on very closely in these next couple of months as we watch the global supply chain and shipping all of our gifts. For everything Options Action, you want to check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. And while you're there, sign up for our newsletter. Here's what's coming up next. Still to come, tis the season for emergency backup power, bad weather, COVID, Whatever it may be, Mike Coe is looking at a way to hopefully generate some returns on a sometimes forgotten stay-at-home play. Plus, calling all Options Action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at Options Action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when Options Action returns. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. Tis the season to be dealing with storms, power outages, and being inside. Thinking of giving yourself the gift of electrical generation this holiday season? Mike Coe is looking at a way to leave the lights on in your portfolio. Hey, Mike. Yeah, so we're taking a look at Generac. Now, this is a, a large cap name. You know, we, we frequently end up talking only about the mega cap names. It's a $28 billion company that uh, is actually a very popular pick in the, in the hedge fund community on the street generally. I mean, this is a, a name that's well-loved by the street. Right now, the average analyst price target is probably about 20% higher than it is. And there's a good reason for that. It has seen exceptional top-line growth. It's probably uh, this year looking at maybe 48% top-line growth. It had close to 30 last year. Full year 2022, we're probably looking at just under 30% growth. So this is one of those uh, names that might fly under the radar if what you're usually looking at are the Microsofts, Alphabets, Facebooks, and Amazons, and the like of the world. So one of the things I also wanted to get into, though, here, uh, because I know that we've used some structures pretty consistently on the show recently because of where implied volatility is, and specifically I'm talking about call spread risk reversals. This is a situation where we buy an upside call spread and sell a downside put. And I think that's a good structure to use in this name as well. But I wanted to talk a little bit about why that is. You know, why not just go ahead and buy the upside call spread? So 
For example, in this name, if we were going to buy an upside call spread, what has to happen is the stock has to go above the call strike by at least the amount of money that you pay before you see profits. You will see losses at any number below that. Now, if you sell a downside put to help finance the purchase of that call spread, particularly if you can get it to pay for all or even cover more than the premium of the call spread, then essentially you're going to either see profits if it rises or not see losses unless it falls below that put strike. So in this case, if you were just going to buy, and I think I was looking specifically at the 380, 450-490 call spread risk reversal, if you just bought that call spread, uh, the stock has to rise 5%. There's about a 31% probability of profit out to February if you did that trade. Now, if instead you also sell the downside put, you're going to be able to put that trade on for just about even. That downside put is nearly 13% lower than the current stock price. So for one thing, you're going to see profits at a lower level on the upside than you would if you simply bought the call spread because you don't have to offset the premium spend. And also, you're only going to see losses if the stock falls more than 13% from its current stock price. This means something else, too. It means that by doing this trade, you actually are risking less money than you would if you purchase the stock. Now, there must be some trade-off, and there is. The trade-off is that since you're owning a call spread rather than simply owning the stock, your upside is limited. But what does this offer us? It offers us basically less downside risk. Basically, as long as the stock stays within 13% to the downside, we're not going to see losses as of February expiration. It is also possible that implied volatility sucks a little bit out of those wing options, and we could take profits a little bit sooner. So I think this is a way to, to tackle a name that I don't think we've discussed on the show before that has excellent top-line growth. But obviously, if you're concerned about a little bit of a pullback, this gives us a material buffer. Hmm. Carter, what do the charts tell you in Generac? Right. I mean, first of all, this is a, what's the word? It's a beast. This is a stock from the 09 low that's doubled the performance of Microsoft. Uh, but let's look at a few charts. What we know is, and you'll see this on the first chart, it's annotated clearly. This in the past year has had four drawdowns greater than 15%. And you see them there on the screen, down 20, down 16, down 50, down 20. And so uh, this looks to my eyes, just be a normal correction, dip, drawdown, sell-off, decline, whatever one you want to call it. And it looks to be an opportunity uh, to add to or initiate longs. Look at the second uh, chart. This is the same one, but it includes the trend line that's been in effect the past two years. Third of four charts, this one just shows the trend line. And so while we're not quite down to the trend line that's been in effect for two years, the final chart, which is just a one-year chart, shows that indeed we are on the trend line in effect for the past 12 months. So what do we know? Uh, Generac had a high in no uh, November, just earlier this month at 524, and it's sitting here at 434. We think you get back towards 500, you get a 15% move, we like it on the long side for a bounce. Hmm. Guy, what's your take on Generac? I love that Coco Beware brought this up because this is really, I mean, Carter just nailed it in terms of the chart. You have seen pullbacks like this. I go back to their earnings release on November 2nd when they came out slightly missed on EPS, maybe a slight miss on revenue, uh, and the stock sold off. People, I think, got concerned about valuation. They said, look, at 37 times next year's numbers, it doesn't make sense. Here's my pushback. Mike already mentioned it. You're talking about revenue growth approaching 50%. 
You're talking about EPS growth, probably 22, 23%. You've seen this sell-off before. Two analysts downgraded the stock right after earnings, Bank of America and UBS, but both still have $500 price targets on the name. And oh, by the way, which is my want to say, the average price target, I think, according to FactSet, is 521. So this sell-off to me, and I hate using the word I typically don't, but it's a bit of an opportunity. I think Mike and Carter just did a great job with Generac. Hmm. Mike, I'm going to give you the last word since this was your trade. Yeah. So, I mean, the important point here is people often talk about valuation and whether they're stretched. They look at companies and they say, gee, it looks awfully expensive at 30 times earnings, at 40 times earnings. What matters is that multiple relative to growth. Generac is an example, you know, on the mega cap side, maybe Microsoft is. These things are trading at big multiples. They deserve to do so, though, because their earnings growth justifies them. Hmm. Well, up next, looking back on Guy's pick from last time he was on, Palantir. We're going to check it out. We'll be back in two. Welcome back to Options Action. A couple of weeks back, when Guy was on last, he and Mike took a stab at Palantir. Take a listen. People will say at 26 times sales, thereabouts, it's very expensive, and they are right. But in the earnings, a lot of people are expecting bad things. I think there's a lot of negativity in the name, and I think Palantir can actually surprise people to the upside. I think what we want to do here is actually buy those January 26 calls, if you have a bullish view, as Guy does, and then sell some nearer-dated calls against it, similar to what we were doing in Disney. The out-of-the-money December 31 calls, you collect about 65 cents for those when I was looking at it. That's a material portion of the extrinsic premium that you're paying for those January options. That's a way to help offset that decay. Obviously, you know, you could say to yourself, well, spending $1.80 in options premium on a $26 stock seems like quite a lot. But when you see how much this stock can move, you can recognize that actually that protection may well be worth it. Well, since then, big data has been a small problem. So what do we do from here, Mike? Yeah, well, it turns out that uh, that protection was well warranted because, of course, it got absolutely slayed after those numbers came out. And, of course, we were risking less than two bucks on that $26 stock, about a buck eighty-five. There isn't a whole lot left to do with the trade because the short-dated options are essentially worthless. You could probably cover those things for a penny if you wanted to. The longer-dated calls, if you want to hang on to them, you're welcome to do that because at this point, there's actually very little additional risk in doing so. But we obviously were wise to use options instead of simply buying the stock outright. Guy, what do you make of Palantir here? Has anything changed for you? Well, well, what's changed is the price has been awful. Mike right. nailed it. And, you know, good for Mike for having that protection embedded in that. My bad for not realizing that maybe the stock was too expensive. I still like it. Listen, you've seen downgrades since. I think I've seen a couple $19 price targets on decelerating government and commercial contracts. Yeah, I get it. But, you know, you look at their operating margins, came in close to 29%. There was a lot to like here. Adjusted EBITDA was much better than expected. Revenue beat. I think what people are concerned about are valuation and that potential slowdown. I think what people are missing is the fact that they have a couple aces up their sleeve. I think one of them in the form of sort of this Bitcoin security that's not really being talked about enough, in my opinion. Again, my bad totally. I think this was a $26 stock around that time. 21 and change now and maybe it gets to that 19 level i hope it doesn't but i still think palantir is a name you want to be in fair enough well up next your tweets and the final call already stick with us we'll be right back 
Welcome back to Options Action. Time to take your tweets. Our first viewer asked, quote, colossal call buying today in Amazon, including two purchases of next week's 3,600 call and 3,700 call for more than $32 million. What does my favorite TV show think about this Amazon print? Guy, tackle this one for you, for us. What's your take on Amazon? Well, apparently his favorite or her favorite TV show is Options Action. It happens to be mine as well. We talked about it on Fast Money, Courtney. We talked about it earlier today. The stock was on fire. The price action today concerns me a little bit. You had that huge move up to the prior high, seemingly have failed, wasn't big volume. I still like the name, but the price action concerns me. You've heard some of the bigger head funds trimming some of their positions. Like the name, I think that call buying helped. I think the Rivian news helped. I also think what helped was the fact that people were looking for stocks that have underperformed and they found Amazon. But again, take a look at today's price action. I think you'll find it concerning. Yeah, and up about four and a half percent or so this week. Time for one more tweet. Our viewer asks, how, how, how about Bitcoin is looking ahead? They say it's an inflation hedge, but it goes down on rising inflation conditions. What, what are your thoughts on coin options? Carter, what do you make of Coinbase and then Bitcoin in general here for our viewer? Yeah, Coinbase Global, I'd be long. You can buy the Jan 335 calls for around 31, sell the 375s for 17, net of 14. Stock goes up 10%, you'll have a 75% gain in your options position. I think you want to be long here. Okay, now time for the final call. Carter, what's yours? Sure, transports for trade to nowhere. And okay. Generac for a bounce. Mike, how about you? I like call spread risk reversals and Generac. Take advantage of that elevated options premium. Guy. I think bond yields are too low. I think TLT goes lower, yields go higher. Okay, that does it for us here on Options Action. We're off next Friday, but we'll be back December 3rd. Mad Money starts now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.